questions or struggles that I see a lot of people have or I have during my time as a priest deals with the question of what happens to non-Christians, non-believers, after they die. Are they allowed into heaven or do they all go to hell? It seems that a lot of people have heard from different preachers, hopefully never from a Catholic priest, that if you're not a Christian, you're not going to get into heaven because you're not saved. You're doomed to go to hell. And people wonder, scandalized by this question, is this true? And so the church over the years has put together a number of different answers, saying that this is not true. Christ judges each individual according to his or her own conscience. So it is possible for those who are not Christians to make it to heaven. But what we see in today's gospel is further evidence of that, evidence that is contained in the Bible itself. And it's something that most of us don't even notice when we read this passage. And so often there are biblical passages we heard at Mass or we've read or we know almost by heart. And so we really don't pay attention to details that could possibly give us a whole different understanding or a new look on the passage. And so often this passage has been applied to describe the Last Judgment. When Christ will gather everyone and divide them into the good and the bad, the sheep and the goats. But if you pay attention, that's not exactly what this gospel is about. It's not Jesus judging everyone, but very specifically, Jesus judging the nations. The very, very beginning, he will sit upon his throne and all the nations will be assembled before him. In biblical times, the nations did not mean everyone, but the nations meant the Gentiles, the pagans, the people who were unbelievers and not part of God's chosen people. Of course, at the time, God's chosen people were the Jews. And so when Jesus would have talked about the judgment of the nations... People would have understood, okay, he's not necessarily talking about the judgment of the Jews, nor is he talking about the judgment of the Christians, but instead of the pagans, those who don't know him, those who don't believe in him. They will be judged also, and we see by what criteria the Lord will judge them. He doesn't say, oh, you're a non-Christian, you're going to hell, everybody. No, there's a chance for certain of them to be saved. And the criteria he establishes is how they treat other people. They bring drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the ill, visit those in prison. It seems that that's what they're being judged by, how they treat others. But if we're actually going to be very, very specific, it appears from this text, it's not just how they treat others in general, but specifically how they treat Christians. Notice when Jesus says, Whatever you did for the least brother of mine, you did for me. Brothers are those who know and follow Christ. And so there's sort of this sort of assumption or a very subtly way of looking at this, that he's saying how you treat my followers. If you care for them, if you welcome them, you provide for them, you will be treated mercifully. But if you don't, it's a different story. 
This is, I think, a way that we can understand this passage by really putting it into context and helping us to address that question that people have. What happens to those who are not Christians? The Lord will judge them all, but by a somewhat different standard that he will judge those who are Christians. And that is not a wholesale condemnation, not at all. But the question, though, for us, though, is how does this understanding or this nuanced understanding of this passage impact us, particular attitude towards non-believers? The first thing that I think that we've got to understand or something important for us to realize is that I encounter a lot of people who get upset with the stuff that we hear about in the news. The violence, the stupidity, the sin, the crime. It makes them lose their peace. And one of the things that I've learned to tell people is that you shouldn't let that disturb your peace. Because A, a great degree, none of that really has that much of an impact on you. And B, why are you getting upset? Because of the way these people are acting. But the truth is, most often, those people are not Christians. So you're not going to judge them by the same standard you judge a Christian. If they were claiming to be Christian and Catholic, then maybe they would be. But do you really think most of those Hollywood moguls and stars really say, I really love Jesus? I really don't. Or when a politician acts like an idiot and a philanderer, you think those guys, again, I'm not trying to judge, really go to Mass every Sunday and worship the Eucharist? No, not really. And then when you talk about the killing and the murdering, a mass murderer is going and killing people in a mosque the other day. Do you think we should really judge those people by the same standards we judge Christians? No. Granted, there's a natural law and a moral law, and what they do is wrong, and they will be judged for it, But the fact of the matter is we cannot allow it to disturb our peace. And so often what we do is we take our moral standards and how we would judge Christians and judge them by the same standards. It's not the way it works. The Lord will indeed judge them, but you can't get mad when pagans act like pagans and not like Christians. Because they're not Christians. They never said they were going to act like that. So don't get bent out of shape. Move on. Number two... We've got to understand that there is a different standard for us tied to that. Indeed, yeah, we need to care for others. We need to provide food for the naked and visit those in prison. These are all works of mercy. We're called to do the same, but we're called to do something different, something more. As we see in the gospel, Jesus says, you're going to be judged, pagans, on how you treat my followers my brothers and sisters. And though because he identifies, when you do it to them, you do it to me. That means we as Christians are called, as brothers and sisters of Christ, to show Christ to others, to be a witness of Jesus in the world, to bring the gospel message to others. That is our responsibility. Others are supposed to say, oh yeah, he claims to be a Christian. Look at the way he acts. Look at what he or she believes. Look at what they say. They will know that we are Christ's brothers and sisters. And so we're going to be judged by a different standard. We're not going to be judged by the same standard as the pagans. Our standard essentially will be, were we Christ to others? 
that we witness to Christ's love and his mercy and his truth. Not only by what we say, but by what we do. Because quite often it's easy for us to say, oh, I'm a Christian, <coughs> but we begin acting like pagans. It's the weekend, I can act like a pagan. School's out, I can start acting like the Gentiles. Well, you're not going to be judged by the same standard. You're going to still be judged, we're going to be judged by the standard of Christ. That responsibility that we have, that command he gave to us, to go out and make disciples of all nations. Not just to be nice and to love him and come to Mass on Sundays, but we have a responsibility to spread the gospel and make other Christians, to change minds and to change hearts. And so that's the third and most important thing. When we look at this passage, we are called to live by a different standard, but ultimately we're called to evangelize those pagans. We're going out. They need to be nice to us, but we need to be willing to bring the gospel message to those who do not believe, to evangelize. But what's the best way of doing that? And I quote, or I want to go to something that Pope Benedict wrote uh, before he became Pope Benedict, one of my favorite sort of essays or talks that he ever gave. He talks about evangelizing the world today. And he says it's very, very difficult today to use reason and logic with people to explain, well, this is why Jesus is God. This is why you shouldn't act this way. This is why we believe in the resurrection. He's not saying give up, give up on it, but the fact of the matter is we have a culture that sort of transcends and goes beyond reason. A lot of what we do and what we believe isn't really rooted in reason, but in other things. So he says you can go and you can make that apologetic endeavor and do the best you can to try to explain to people, but the fact of the matter is it's often not going to work. He says there are two things that really work today for evangelizing. One is beauty. When people encounter the beautiful and see Christ reflected through the beautiful, it can change minds and hearts. But the most effective, he says, is not the beautiful, not so much the truth of what's said, but the goodness of our actions, the lives of the saints. Holiness is ultimately what is the best evangelist. That's where it has the biggest impact. Not so much what we say, but what we do. How we treat others. How we show them Christ's mercy and love. Think of probably the two most influential saints that we can think of. One, St. Francis of Assisi. Francis wasn't a great preacher. He didn't leave a lot of theology. But he still impacts people today, 800 years later, because of the love he showed to others. Probably the 20th century, the most influential saint is St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa. Again, no great theologian, but it was her love and her charity and her kindness that changed people's hearts, that impacted their lives. And so what happens is, the irony is, this call to evangelize through living lives of holiness really ties back to, in a certain sense, the same thing the Gentiles will be judged on. How we treat others. How we minister to them and show Christ ministering through us. That when we care for the sick, when we care for the poor, when we're generous, when we go and visit those who are lonely, we are not only doing the right thing, but we're ultimately showing Christ to other people. So even though there's a different standard, quite often it engages us on the same level the pagans are engaged in. And the fact of the matter is, though, in wrapping this up, as true as all this is, as important as it is, if we do not believe that Christ is the king of our lives, 
none of this will matter. That's what we're celebrating today, the Feast of Christ the King, that our behavior, our movement in the world is based in the fact that we believe Jesus is King of our lives and that we want to serve him and that we want to bring other people under his kingship, <coughs> not by force, not by coercion, but by our witness. But if Jesus isn't really king of our lives, if we don't really believe him, if we haven't had the deep conversion, then none of this really makes sense. All we do are follow the rules. All we do is say we're just a member of the kingdom, but Jesus really isn't our king. The more we convert and allow Christ to take that lordship and kingship of our lives, the more we will change. And we can conform to Christ in bringing his kingdom, his gospel message to the world. Amen.